Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm here with my wife and my daughter's here as well, my mother-in-law. So thanks for, um, thanks for having us. It's been a while since we've been up here. I love coming to Portland for one reason. Um, you have rain, and we don't. And I know I've been saying that today, and people are like, we have too much. I don't feel like you can have too much. I come from a place where it never rains. We just got told we will not be able to water our lawns anymore because we're so far out of rain. So you live in the land of abundance, as far as I can tell. Like you drive and there's trees and they're huge and they look beautiful and they just mock me as I drive down the gorge, it feels like. Um, but thanks for, thanks for being here, Patty. Thank you for the work that you guys do, your team. It's uh, amazing what you have continued to do throughout all this time. And so we're just really blessed that you're here. And I bring greetings from all the different campuses as well. Um, I was out in Chattanooga just a little while ago, and they're having fun there. They're about to get a brand new venue, actually. They're about to move, which is um, really exciting. They're moving into, uh, just signed a five-year lease, or about to sign a five-year lease on new space, which is really exciting. At Redlands, um, things are continuing to, to go well and grow. We looks like we may be renting another building right beside us, and so that'll add another 12,000 square feet to the work that we're doing. We're planning on starting a uh, crosswalk in Spanish, that's something that's new that we're looking at. Um, we had a meeting about that last week. Right on. Right on. So we're excited about that. That's really, um, I think that'll be pretty cool. And then, um, and then our Crosswell Clinton, our group up in Massachusetts, they just got a new venue as well. Space matters, right? Where you worship matters and how you want to bring people to it. So it's a blessing that you guys have this great place here in Anthem. Maybe we can just pray together as we begin. Let's bow our heads one more time. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you be with us, that you um, continue to grow us as we study the Old Testament, looking for, for hints of you, looking for, for the foreshadowing of you and how you show up through this, whole, through this whole book that we call the Bible. And Lord, may we, um, may we always understand you a little bit more at the end of these moments together. May we understand one another a little bit more and, and grow in community so that we can become the people that you've always wanted us to be, that you created us to be. We thank you for this. In your name I pray, amen. So we're in this series called Christophany, as you know. And the question is, where does Jesus show up in the Old Testament? Um, and and where, where, where have we read that Old Testament, not necessarily seen what God is doing and where he is present? I know you guys had Pastor Icky Taimi up here last week. Was Icky pretty good? Yeah. That dude's amazing, huh? Yeah, I tried to hire him, and he was like, no, I want my own thing. So he's starting his new pastorate at La Sierra University Church pretty soon here, which is really cool. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. Um, and I know he started us off on this series, so um, I didn't get to watch what he said. I don't know exactly what he said. But, but the premise that we're taking is this. We are Christians, and so when we look back at the Old Testament, we look back at that Old Testament through the cross. There's no time that we are looking at the Old Testament and not seeing through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. We live on the opposite side of that, so it's impossible for us to see the Old Testament without that view from the cross. Now, that's really important for us, and I don't know if you grew up learning it that way. I felt like I grew up learning about the Old Testament, and then we have the New Testament, and they sometimes don't feel like they're super well connected, except maybe for a prophecy here or there that Jesus fulfilled. But what we recognize, 
than what we learned, at least through the series guide, and hopefully you're studying that. It's a, it's a great resource. And by the way, the next series that we're doing, Pastor Patty wrote the whole series guide, um, which I think is why he's been sick. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work. And um, I wanted him to do it so he could recognize how hard I actually work on things. Um, no, he's a... Uh, thank you, Patty, for doing that. So this is... It's called... What's the next series called, Patty? Deep faith, and we're going to be studying the book of Timothy, correct? Um, which is great. Anyway, we're, we're really excited. So anyway, s- study the series guide. However, when we look at this Old Testament, we have to see Jesus because the whole of the Old Testament screams of Jesus, and Jesus knew that, right? Jesus said, you search the scriptures looking for salvation, but the scriptures talk about me. Like, I'm, I'm the one that is there. I'm the one that's revealed in all those Old Testament scriptures, you know, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all these books somehow reveal Jesus. But, but through this series, there's a question that you have to ask, which is really, really important, and maybe even, even more important than all the stuff we're studying. The question is, where's the Christophany in your life? And I know that sounds like how you end the sermon, but I wanted to put it out there right at the beginning. Right? Where does Jesus show up in your life? Because everything that you do, everything that you live, just like as we read the Old Testament, there is, a, there is a Christophany that you are giving to the world. And there is ways that Jesus shows up in our lives through our relationships, through our interactions, right? Through, through even the natural world where Christ shows up. So the question you have to ask yourself all the time is where is Christ showing up in my life? If he's not, then we're just reading an old book that doesn't have life and we know that that's not true. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, Christ is not only present, but he's palpable. He's there. And sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I experience deja vu. Deja vu. Have you ever experienced deja vu? Like, have you ever been, like, sitting with your family or something, eating at a restaurant that you eat at, you know, relatively often, and then all of a sudden you think, we've been here before. We've had the same conversation. Every once in a while, it happens in kind of a a one-off situation where you're walking somewhere and you think, why has this all happened before? When I read the New Testament, what I recognize is that there is deja vu from things that are happening in the Old Testament, and we are seeing those things not, they're not reruns, I wouldn't call them that, they are, they are parallel examples of how God has been working and the consistency in which God has been working. And I, 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 get, I get deja vu a lot because I preach a lot and I preach in the same room a lot. And if, if you've taught in the same room a lot or you've preached in the same room a lot, you start saying something and you think, I've said this. And I preach three sermons every week at Crosswalk and so um, in Redlands. And so I'll be preaching the second sermon and think, oh, no, I've said this to you same people before. And I said it an hour before, but it feels like it just, what happens before is revisited again. We see it sometimes in the New Testament, but it starts out with this original narrative that we get in scripture. I think a perfect example of this is the story of Abraham. And today we're studying Abraham, obviously not the whole story of Abraham. It's a massive story. Um, but, but we want to take a little time and spend some time. So the first thing we see when, when it, Abraham shows up is we see obedience and we recognize that there's a new era of salvation that is about to begin, right? Genesis 12.1. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, 
Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. So obviously, it took some faith, right? We're obviously starting the story with the story of a faithful person and someone who's willing to take a risk, who's willing to go somewhere that God hasn't even told him where it's going to be. He just needed to have faith and to be obedient. Genesis 12, 2 continues, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Now, this is not like TikTok famous, right? This is not like Instagram famous. That's not what we're talking about. When we say famous, it means someone of, of kind of immense stature, right? Someone who looms larger than life. And as a father of a nation, this is a promise that is given to Abraham. I'll make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. So there's a promise, there's this covenant, but this, there's a covenant with a purpose. And that's one thing that every time we see God shows up, every time God shows up somewhere, he gives a promise it seems, and he also gives a purpose to that promise. And so there's a promise here that he will be the father of a great nation, but that promise comes with a purpose. There's a reason for the nation, that it would be a blessing to others. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. The literal sense of this text is kind of a dual prophecy and blessing involving the chosen people and the Messiah in whom all nations will be blessed, right? So we've got God saying, listen, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. And, and then when we see Jesus, we recognize all the world has been blessed through him. So what we've got with Abraham is a type to Jesus's ultimate coming. There's something new. Salvation is changing, and it's happening here. But blessing was a part of the story from the very beginning. But what was that blessing that, that Abraham was supposed to give to the world? Abraham and the nation of Israel was supposed to give to the world. I think it was three things, and it certainly was more than this. But first, we can see through the life of Abraham that God calls people. So God's calling is one of the blessings that we're supposed to get through the nation of Israel, through the story of Abraham. We recognize that God calls. He showed up in Ur, and he said, listen, I need you to leave, and I need you to go to a place where I'll, where I'll show you, and I need you to be a blessing to the world. God calls people, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament, and we see this in the New Testament. As Jesus says, go into all the world, preaching and teaching in my name, baptizing, right? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Calling never stopped happening. Right? So this is one of the blessings that the world was to gain through the story of Abraham and ultimately through Jesus as well. The second thing that we learn through this story of Abraham and his life and his descendants is that we were supposed to have a look into God's character. We were supposed to see who God is by the people who followed him. And sometimes Abraham was great at this. Sometimes he wasn't as good. Of course, when we get to Jesus, we know that Jesus was the full revelation of who God is. So what we had in hints and allegations over here in the Old Testament where we saw half pictures and half measures we see in its entirety when it comes to Jesus. And we see that in Colossians 1, 15 through 19. And we see it again and again and again. The third thing that the, the nation of Israel through Abraham was supposed to give to the world as a blessing is simply an understanding of God's love, right? God's faithfulness through this abrimic story, the story of Abraham, shows us his love not only for this man, for his family, but for the nation and other nations as well. It's really a type 
of what we see finally in Jesus for what it means to believe and trust in God. Abraham's life reveals what faith is supposed to be. And we see this in the New Testament as it references Abraham. Hebrews 10, 8 through 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was received as a inheritance, and he went out by faith. It says it again and again and again when we talk about those Old Testament people. We're supposed to have a recognition of what faith is supposed to be by watching Abraham, and then we are supposed to have a, a, a full understanding of what faith is as Jesus shows up, but we don't come to that knowledge of faithfulness of Jesus without already being primed by what we see in the Old Testament through Abraham's life. Jesus' life was of that same type of obedience that Abraham had. When Jesus says, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. But not my will, your will. Abraham is asked to leave the place where he came from, Ur, and not even knowing where he's supposed to go, he says, okay, I'll go because that's your will. You want me to circumcise my house? I'll circumcise my house. Which nobody could have been happy about at the time. Right? But what happened is there's a faithfulness that is expressed. And if you have kids... Um, well, I guess both sides of the equation. If you have kids, have you ever said this because I said so? And if you're a kid, have you ever heard that? Don't you love that when your parents say that? I'll say to my son, listen, I need you to clean your room. And he's like, why? Which seems obvious if you're standing in his room. All right? He's like, why? And I'm, like, I'm not going to explain this to you. Why? Because I said so. And he's like, mm, I don't know if that's enough. I'm like, oh, it is. And I can't be in your room anymore because it smells so bad. Like, you need to clean your room, son. Sometimes we follow because God said so. Right? That doesn't mean necessarily blind obedience. And I don't know that obedience should always be blind. But I do know that there are times when God calls and we don't necessarily understand. When we don't understand what God is calling us to do, this is the time that we look through the cross back to the Old Testament to begin to see what it means to be faithful when we don't have all the answers, when we don't have all the clarity in what things are supposed to be. And that's why we go to the, to the story of Abraham, and we're going to spend some time in one little pericope, right, one um, little section, because, like, as we all know, that Abraham story is long. But we're going to take just one little section where it seems that Abraham and his wife kind of struggled with what God was doing. But we also see a pretty powerful theophany happening, or a manifestation of God. It begins in Genesis 15, verse 8, and it says, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's, I'm actually not to the prick pee yet. I forgot I was going to talk about this part. I apologize. This part is what faith does to us. I got ahead of myself. This is what happens. When you only preach once a day, you don't have, you know, you can't make as many mistakes. When you preach three times, you can just change the sermon all the time if you don't like it. So I apologize. Let me get this right. When we are learning about what faith is, we understand that in Genesis it says, 
And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Remember, right at the beginning, I said a new era of salvation history was showing up? Well, it showed up, and then it's referenced again in Romans chapter 4, for the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Paul's making the argument here that it is not about works, rather about the faith, and that is why he is seen as righteous. That is why we are seen as righteous. But did Abraham always believe? Abraham struggled just like we do. He struggled at times, right? So did his wife, Sarah. And this is where we begin the story. Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre or Mamre, depending on how you say it. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. So not a lot was happening, right? But what we begin to see is that there's an incarnation that's about to happen. And we don't use that term, incarnation, often in the Old Testament when God shows up. We have a tendency to use it only with Jesus. This is not the incarnation of Jesus, but this is a incarnation or a manifestation of God. Because what we are told is he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. This in the flesh showing up. So we can use that term incarnation. And I wonder, I wonder, some people will say that I'm going too far. Some people will say that I'm not going far enough. But I wonder if every time we see a physical representation of God in the Old Testament, that it actually was Jesus. Because we were made in the image of God, as Pastor Icky talked about last week. And that image had a pattern and that pattern was Jesus, who was there at creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We know that Jesus was there, and there must have been some sort of physical manifestation. Is it possible, and I'm not saying that Scripture tells us this explicitly, but is it possible that every time we see a physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament, we are talking about Jesus? Because that's how he shows up in particularity. That's how he shows up in the flesh. So we've got three people that show up. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. By the way, this is just Middle Eastern hospitality, right? We have a tendency to, the only thing we hear from the Middle East is wars and that sort of thing. But I spent a lot of time growing up in the Middle East. Every summer, we spent months there. And I got to tell you, I've never been treated better than by the Arab families that we hung out with. And I was never treated better than by the Jewish families that we hung out with. We didn't hang out with them together a lot of the time because of some of the struggle that's there. But Middle Eastern hospitality is a real thing, and it's shown right here. This is, it's biblical, and it's been around for a really long time. He runs to meet them. He lies down on the ground, and he says, my Lord, it pleases you. If it pleases you, stop here for a while. Did he notice that one was more stately than the other ones? We, we don't know. We, in this story, it's interesting because sometimes when the man talks, it's almost assumed that all three are talking at the same time. The Hebrew's a little loose on that, but he's talking to one at least, and he says, my Lord. And this is, this is the, the, the word thing right? It's not just a, a traveler that he's giving respect to. He's saying, my Lord. He's realizing this is a theophany. God is showing up. Genesis 18.4, rest in the shade. He says, rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to you. Wash your feet. So he's serving them, right? 
He's serving them, and he's suggesting the best place to sit. Again, hospitality. And by the way, when I read this story and I see how hospitable that Abraham was, it reminds me of this text in the New Testament that says, when you've served the least of these, you've served me. Right? There's a consistency within Scripture that we can't deny Right? It's easy to look at the Old Testament and say, well, that God is different than the God that we see expressed in the New Testament, but it's the same God through the whole thing. And if we learn to have a decent sort of hermeneutic, right, a decent sort of way of studying the Old Testament, we begin to see that consistency show up again and again and again. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. Uh, a direct understanding of what Jesus did in the upper room. What Jesus did wasn't brand new, but what Jesus did was better and the perfect expression of what all this Old Testament stuff was supposed to be. But when Jesus showed up, he did what we could never do. We understand that. Genesis 18.5, let's continue. It says, and since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. By the way, if you're going to feed somebody in the Old Testament, it's not just, you know, going to your cupboard and getting some crackers and getting some, you know, this is like, you got to start from the beginning. So what does he do? Abraham runs back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. That's not, let's get these people a drink out of the refrigerator, that's, we're going to spend some time together because we're going to treat these people well. I think this is a beautiful example of how community is built. You can't microwave community. You can't microwave friendship. You can't microwave intimacy. That's something that comes with time spent together. This is why we say things like come early, stay late. This is a reason why we have coffee out front. It's not just to like get you all amped up so the sermon's a little more exciting. Although, it does work. What it's really about is you finding a way to be with one another, to spend time with one another, to abide with one another. This is what community is for. And community is not built in a short five minutes before the, before the service and five minutes after the service. This is family. This is community. And if we could, you would get here and Patty, you know, would say to someone, hey, go get some flour. We got to start kneading the dough. But we live lives that don't even, couldn't even handle that, right? If you went to somebody's house to eat and they said, hey, thanks for coming. We've got to go harvest some food out in the backyard and then we're going to take the dough and we're going to start kneading and then we'll make some bread. That'll be uh, probably two and a half hours. You'd be like, what's happening? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that office episode when they went to, the, the, to Michael's house, right? The dinner party episode. <laughs> when she says, oh, the Osobuku, it's three more hours. And, and they're looking at each other like, how are we going to get out of here? Because that's how we live our lives, hoping we can get away. And Abraham says, hang on, let me make you some food. Goes and tells his wife, let's get started. They had some time, Right? And again, this just reminds me of what we see in the New Testament about taking care of the least of these. Genesis 18, 7, then Abraham ran out 
to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. Quickly. I think their understanding of time is a little bit different. But does this remind you of killing the fatted calf? What we see in the New Testament was a re-envisioning of stuff that has been said from the very beginning, of what it means to take care of people, of what it means to love, of what it means to be family, of what it means to be in relationship with God, of what it means to be saved. It just continues on. Genesis 18.8, when the food was ready, this was a long time later, when the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. They ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the tree. Right? And, and the, the scriptures, as it's written in the Hebrew, this is a tornado of activity, it feels like. Right? Hurried, quick, ran. It reinforces the picture of Abraham as an extraordinary host. To this day, I, I, measure, I measure a host by one thing. When I was in graduate school and we'd started the band, we were down in Florida doing a show. And we got really late to this people's house that we were staying in. And I woke up the next morning and, and the husband was there, and he was squeezing oranges. And we had these huge pitchers of fresh-squeezed orange juice. To me, that is the most hospitable thing anyone had ever done to me. I don't do it to people when they come to my house. No. And I have orange trees. I'm like, no, those are for me. But I just remember this guy, like, squeezing oranges, like, by hand, right? He didn't even have one of those, like, he's, like, hey, you guys are awake. You want some orange juice? And by the way, I want to be clear on something. Orange juice is meant to be eaten at room temperature as it comes out of the orange. If you think it should be cold, you don't understand what fresh squeezed orange juice is. Right? Growing up in the 80s, we grew up with orange juice concentrate, which is cold to begin with. So you think orange juice is supposed to be cold. You don't care about this. This is just my thing. This is just me on a soapbox about oranges, but it doesn't matter. I still think of wonderful hospitality being fresh-squeezed orange juice. But then this conversation starts, right? And the man says, where's Sarah? Where's your wife? The visitors ask, and it is in the plural, which is kind of interesting. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied, right? They ask collectively. But he makes this kind of quick and, f and terse gesture. He's like, she's in the, she's in the tent, Right? Then one of them said, I'll return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now, I don't know if you know their situation, but this seems like an appropriate sermon to preach on Mother's Day, because this woman's not young, and she's about to say it. But he says, listen, when I come back, and he says, when I come back in the quickening, he's basically saying, when I come back in the spring next year, um, you're going to have a son. Abraham's listening to the conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, tells the narrator. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. The, the terms that we use are things like old, advanced. The, the literal term is coming with days or past the age of childbearing. So what did she do? She heard this and she laughed. And we all know this story. Right? She laughed to herself and said to herself again, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Right? 
this is interesting. She's basically saying that they had not been sexually active for years. And the way that she says it, because she talks about pleasure in particular, she says, we've not had sex for years. And the audacity of the man's claim made them appear supernatural, which of course they were, and she has a hard time understanding it. We don't hear a lot from Abraham at this point, which is kind of interesting, right? Then the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can a woman like me have a baby? And then he says this statement that I think we need to understand. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied laughing. She said, I didn't laugh. And then this part of the pericope ends like this. God saying, no, no, you did. He literally stops the conversation, and then we move on to another part of the conversation, if you read the, if you read the, the scripture. He's like, no, you did. You laughed, right? There's a bit of an argument here, and then he stops the conversation. You will be a mother. You will have a child. Abraham's like 120 years old, right? He's not fertile. She's not prepared to have a kid. But we got to ask the question, what do we learn from this little back and forth, right? Sarah listened. I mean... Did we learn that, you know, Sarah listened when she wasn't supposed to? Did we learn that tents have thin walls? Which they... Or did we learn that when God shows up, everything is possible? Not anything. Everything. And this is the thing about theophanies, right? This is the thing about Christophanies, when Christ shows up. When this happens... Things change. People become more than they were. Coincidences become serendipities. And serendipities become holy, appointed, uh, holy appointments. You see, the reason why I chose this story back when we chose to do this series was that first text, these men show up. And these men are clearly God. And I have a tendency to believe that these men, one of them is Jesus. But as I study this story more and more, what I recognize is this is the beginning of a much larger narrative that tested the faithfulness of Abraham. It reminded us how his faith was credited to him as righteousness and how our faith is credited to us as righteousness. And that when God shows up, it's okay to expect everything to change and everything to happen. And unfortunately, we've become very terrestrial in the way that we live our lives. We don't expect God to show up. We often don't. I go to a lot of churches and I often see the way that we worship. And we worship as if it's some perfunctory duty that we have to do to get to the sermon, rather than recognizing that this may be the moment that God shows up. Or, or we live our lives thinking that, you know, 
if, if things aren't going well in my life, I'm not really being blessed, so God's probably not around. Maybe the struggle and the trial is exactly how God is blessing you. We shouldn't equate blessing with things going well. We should equate blessing with God's presence. When Christ shows up, things change. There is a quickening. There is a momentum. And the reason why the Old Testament exists is to prepare us for thousands of years to be ready for a Savior. So we should read the Old Testament because we need some time to be prepared to really understand the Savior. And whether it's a, the story of Abraham or the story of Moses or the story of Noah, you, you pick the patriarch, you're going to see parallels to what happens in Jesus' life. Because Jesus was reliving all the promises that were made and making good on every single one of them. When Christ shows up in your life, and I've seen this time after time in congregations and in people, when you really begin to recognize that, that Jesus is not hiding. He's not hiding in the Old Testament. He's all over it. He's certainly not hiding in the New Testament. It's, he's the apex of it. But when we recognize that Jesus is not also hiding in our lives, but he is making himself present and known, we begin to recognize that everything is possible and we can live differently than we have before. And there is a quickening, there is a momentum that begins to happen in your life. And when you begin to live that way, you begin to expect God to show up. Because we say, right, God is everywhere and he, he's with us and we say these words, but do we live as if it's true? Do we really lean into that? Do we really recognize that when things go wrong, God is just as present as when things are going right? Do we recognize that when everything seems to be falling apart, it just means that we've got to fall into him even harder? If the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's that God doesn't leave when he should, when you would, when I would. And then what we learn in the New Testament is that God will fulfill everything we couldn't in the old. And he's going to come closer and closer and closer. So I got to ask this question again. Where's the Christophany in your life? Where are you looking and recognizing that Jesus is real, he's present, and he's palpable, and he's here? We have to let him inhabit our praises because that's a recognition that our hearts aren't big enough to, to contain him. That's why we, we expect him to hear our prayers because he, we know how deeply he cares for every single thing that we are and everything we do and every feeling we feel. And this is why when it is all falling apart, it's okay because he's going to carry us through. Even when it feels horrible, he's going to carry us through. Let's bow our heads today. Heavenly Father, I'm just going to ask for, uh, for this community that their bonds may be stronger in you, that they may come early and stay late to build 
that community of belonging so that you can be even more present. Lord, I'm going to ask for you to be really real in people's lives today. Whether things are going amazingly well and it seems like everything's clicking or whether or not it feels like the, the ground is falling out from under us. Lord, at the end of the day, let us lean on you and your supernatural ability to change everything. You gave an old woman and an old man the opportunity to celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. You give us the opportunity to celebrate your resurrection and to worship you. So Lord, may we be people who come to expect everything because that's what you have in your hand. So Lord, accept our praise today as we worship one more time and be with us here as we're with one another. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.